0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Redemption Church in Red Deer, Alberta. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, visit us online at redemptionreddeer.ca. If you guys want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, and if, uh, if anyone needs a Bible, if you just want to put up your hand, we'd love to put a Bible in your hands, and so we can all turn there together, if anyone needs the scriptures. So Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13, um, it's really, it's an epic showdown, and that word epic gets abused a lot, and I think in our society, but it, it actually isn't maybe the true definition of the word, like Jesus and the devil. There's, there's actually nothing, I think, that compares to what we're going to see there, uh, or what we see it, here in Scripture this morning, right? Like, you could be reading, like, the best novel, like, my wow, this is the best story ever written, doesn't compare. You'd be watching the best movie, the best playwright, doesn't compare. You could be watching the Super Bowl today, this afternoon, it could be like the best Super Bowl you've ever seen, doesn't compare at all to what we see here in Scripture, the temptation of Christ. The devil trying to derail the plans of God. We see like this specific uh, time that it happens. He's always trying to do that. But we see at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the devil trying to derail the plans of God. I think it's so significant for us because we all face our own temptations in life. And so we can learn how do we deal with temptations, I think, as we look at this passage. And I think the big thing I want us to see over and over again, where we fail and fall, Jesus was faithful. Right? Like, as he's tempted over and over again, like, he doesn't give in. He's faithful. And I want us to see that here this morning a lot. I'd like to cover, God willing, if you want to stand with me as we read God's word together, Luke chapter 4, 1 to 13. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. you shall not put the Lord, your God, to the test. When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. May God bless his word to our souls this morning. You can have a seat. I've called this message the temptation of Christ because any other title I had, I'm like, there's no, no other way to say it, I believe. Uh, probably there is. I didn't think of it. I'm just going to pray as we continue to get into God's Word here this morning. If you want to bow with me. Oh Lord, I thank you for the clarity of your Word. I thank you for uh, your Spirit. And I pray, Holy Spirit, help me to speak. Help me to proclaim uh, your Word with clarity, with conviction, with courage. I pray, oh Lord, you would pierce our hearts. I pray we'd be more aware of the spiritual battle going around us. I pray we would find uh, victory we would find uh, hope we would find forgiveness in Jesus Christ oh God give us ears that are open give us eyes to see oh Lord I pray that anyone who is in the confines of the devil today they'd find freedom in Jesus Christ Lord only you can do it and so we're praying that you would in your kindness in your grace oh Lord God uh, teach us from your word encourage us Help us to walk in your ways, O Lord. And I pray that this word proclaimed would, would do that, that you would use it to form Jesus Christ in each one of us, to the glory of the Father. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as we kind of, as we start this message here this morning, as I've already said, and we'll say it again, the devil, he seeks to disrupt and destroy God's plan by turning the Son of God from the will of God the Father. That's what we see happening here this morning. In verses 1 to 2, I want us to see obedience gets tested. Obedience gets tested. If, we, if you were here weeks previous, you know that uh, Jesus just got baptized. He just got baptized, and in his baptism, the Holy Spirit descended on him, verse 22, in bodily form like a dove, in a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. He just got baptized. You're like, oh wow, this is amazing. And now it says the Spirit is going to lead him. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan where he was baptized. And if we didn't know, we're like, well, where is he going to be led by the Spirit to? You think maybe to the temple to go and praise God for what has just happened, the kind of the inauguration of his ministry. Like that would make sense. But instead, where is he led? Returned from the Jordan was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Jesus being led by the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit leading people, a huge theme in Luke's Gospel, the book of Acts, also the author of that book. Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit directs his actions, guides his steps, empowers him for life and ministry. Jesus, yet fully God, Yet seemingly left uh, some of, not, not left, but basically not using some of his divinity as he walked the earth. And as a man, in his humanity, filled with the Holy Spirit, did this ministry. I love it. Uh, John MacArthur says, as Jesus lived his entire life, totally filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. But again, he, where was he going? Not to the temple, to the wilderness. And the wilderness is not like, oh, just uh, you know going out somewhere, just, away from, just wanting to be alone, away from people. The wilderness within the Bible is a place of testing. It says in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 8.15, referring to when the Israelites were in the wilderness, great and terrifying wilderness, with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground there, where there was no water. Like, that's the picture of the wilderness. It's not a good place. It's a place of harshness. It's a place of death. There's no one there. And the reason he's going to the wilderness, I want you to see this, and the reason as he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, wilderness in 40 days is to remind us of the Israelites, how they went into the wilderness. And as they were tested, and they did not pass the test. So you know, as the Israelites, as they came out of Egypt, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, Uh, the the Hebrews were slaves to the Egyptians. God used Moses, 10 plagues, and he brought them out of Egypt, and then they went into the wilderness. That number 40 is very significant. Moses was up on the the mountain as he got the 10 commandments, 40 days and 40 nights. When they were in the wilderness, and they went to go into the promised land. The spies went into the promised land for 40 days and 40 nights. And then they came back, and 10 out of the 12 spies, like, we can't do it. They're too big, they're too large, will be destroyed. They rebelled against God. And then the Israelites had to wander in the desert, the wilderness, for 40 years. And so that is actually being kind of shown us where Israel failed in the wilderness, Jesus is faithful. Like for sure that's being highlighted to us. Where Israel in the desert was unfaithful and didn't trust in God, Jesus was faithful and withstood the temptations. He was righteous where they weren't interesting how how Luke begins here so Jesus is led by the spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil and he just continues on just assuming (laughs) you know who the devil is right no introduction no saying nothing else he's just being tempted by the devil an assumption that you know who this is the names given to the devil this isn't exhausted within scripture first appears in Genesis chapter 3 as the serpent. In the book of Job, Satan as the accuser. In 1 Chronicles 21 as the tempter. We learn a number of things about the devil in the Old Testament scriptures. One of them is from Ezekiel chapter 28, 12 to 17. And interesting, this this prophecy kind of in Ezekiel, it talks about the prince of Tyre. And as it talks about him, you're like, wait a second. I don't think this is talking about the Prince of Tyre. I think it's talking about the devil. Just let me read some for you from verses 28 in chapter, sorry, verse 12 in chapter 28. It says this in the second part. You are a signet, a signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Verse 13, listen to this. You were in Eden, the garden of God. That's not the king of Tyre. At the bottom of that verse, on that day you were created, they were prepared, all these stones for him. Verse 14, you were an anointed guardian cherub, an angel. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. Verse 15, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. Verse 17, your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. We can learn many other things about the devil, but one. So he was a guardian cherub, an angel. He was beautiful, but then he got prideful. He wanted to take the place of God. He rebelled against him. Was cast down to the earth, and then now it's his prerogative to try to destroy the plans of God, try to destroy the people of God. The devil. The devil, so Luke just, as he introduces him, he just assumes like, hey, you, you know who he is. You know he's real. Do you know that? That The devil is real. The spiritual battle is real too. Have you felt it? I just want to also say this about the devil. He's not all powerful. He's not can't be present in more than one place. He's not God. He only has the power that God allows him to have. And even when we talk about maybe temptations ourselves, we're not necessarily talking about the devil. We'll give him credit. Often it's our own fallen flesh. It's the broken world that we live in. Or, or it can be the demonic, kind of his henchmen, other fallen angels. But probably not the devil. But for sure, Jesus has the devil come to him. It can, like We can't even picture it. For sure, he doesn't have horns. He's not ready. He doesn't have a pitchfork. Probably looks like a person. But he comes to him to test the claims that the father made at the baptism, where he says, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Now he's going to enter into ministry, and then the devil's like, I'm going to test this. And can I derail this plan of salvation, right as it's getting going? As he did in the garden with Adam and Eve, brought sin into the world. So we see, as, as Luke goes on, just assumes yeah, the devil, you understand, he's real. Verse 2 continues on. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. I love that point. You're like, I don't know, Luke, if you necessarily needed to add that. When, after 40 days, he didn't eat, and when he ended, he was hungry. I don't know, I had to look up. I was like, how long can someone survive without food? And it's like... It's not so clear. It depends on your weight, on your calorie intake. It can be one to three months without food, assuming you're getting water. So Jesus hadn't eaten for 40 days. And I think in those days, he already was being tempted. He already was being kind of pulled, notwithstanding it. But then there's these three specific temptations that he faces when he's at his weakest. And I want you to see that. I want you to know that. Our temptations come when we are the weakest, when we're alone, when we're hungry, when we're tired, long periods of work or a a trial that just won't end. And so we need to know this ahead of time. If you're going to like, man, I'm working this shift and it's going this many hours, you need to know temptations come in your way. Prepare, talk to someone, have someone be praying for you. You're like, man, I haven't, I haven't eaten for a while. Well, I'm going through this trial. I need God's sustaining grace. I need to be with other people. So we just need to know that temptation. It doesn't come We're like, man, I feel so full of the Spirit of God. I'm with God's people. It usually doesn't hit us then. It's when we're in our weakest moment. So we need to know that's when temptation comes. We need to do something about that. We need to see it coming if we can. Or then recognize, like, wow, I'm actually feeling really weak right now. I need to reach out to a brother or a sister in the Lord. I also want you to just note this as well. So Jesus is after his baptism, after the Father uh, speaks to him, after the Spirit descends upon him, and he's led into the wilderness by the Spirit. He's actually led there by the Spirit, and he's tested. And I think that's actually the norm in the Christian life, is that there are, there are periods of, like, of mountaintop experiences, if you will, where, like, man, you see things so clear, you just feel this closeness to God, and this is so amazing, but that's not the norm in Christian life. The norm is, like, when we go down, if you will, into the valley, and you get tested, and you go through trials. But often, after a mountaintop experience, or, like, something very significant God does, you will go down somewhere else, and you will be tested. That, like, that is the norm. So even for anyone coming, not to discourage anyone from baptism, you get baptized and you stand up in these waters or stand on this stage and you testify to Jesus Christ, what he's done in your life. I want to follow him. And I have and he's, he's done this work in my life. And you get baptized and everyone's surrounding you and they're cheering. It's kind of like a mountaintop experience. And then Monday you're all alone. Maybe you have this, your screen and you're, you're tempted to look and the devil's quick to say, hey, yeah, I, was that real? Do you actually trust in the Lord, temptations will quickly come. If you go on a, a missions trip or even you go to a conference and there's this kind of spiritual high and then you, you come back to just the normal routine of everyday life and you got to work and oh, we only worship on Sundays, do we really even know the Lord? And, and then there's this, this lowness that falls and temptation will hit you between us. We need to know that's how the enemy works and prepare for it. So Jesus, he got tempted by these three temptations. I want us to see how Jesus dealt with each one, be challenged and be encouraged. So the first one, the temptation, verses 3 and 4, to depend on self. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command the stone to become bread. And the devil's saying that if you are the son of God, he's he's not doubting, but more like, okay, the Father said you're the Son of God. I don't know how he has that knowledge or that word, but if you are the Son of God, like prove it. And what does he say? Command the stone to become bread. Notice like temptation comes and it's attractive. Jesus was so hungry. And he had the ability to turn the stone into bread. Later on, following the Father's will, he takes, what, five loaves and two fish and multiplies it and feeds 5,000 people. That's not, a, not something that Jesus couldn't do. But the devil's like, hey, like the Father hasn't led you to do this. I want you to just follow your own will. You're very hungry. You deserve food. Can you do this? Can you do this miracle? He's trying to pull him to rely on himself. Again, friends, think about this, where Israel failed jesus was faithful in exodus chapter 16 the the israelites have have been taken out of egypt they've crossed the red sea they're starting to wander in the desert and they start complaining they're like "I, i wish we actually just stayed in egypt we had pots full of meat back then and they start complaining and start whining they're not dependent upon god They complained to God. They didn't trust in him. But Jesus trusted. Hadn't eaten for 40 days. He wasn't about to turn the the stone into bread. Look at Jesus' response to the temptation. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Notice how he answers him with scripture. Jesus doesn't say, well, okay, I see what you're asking me to do. This is how I feel. He felt hungry. He didn't didn't trust his emotions. He trusted the word of God. He said, it is written. Jesus knew the scripture. He memorized it. He meditated upon it. He obeyed it. Do you see how he's using scripture here? As a weapon, as a defense. That's what we we find in Paul's writings in Ephesians 2. Chapter 6, verse 17, the second part, when he talks about the spiritual battle that we're in, it's this Bible, the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. And so the devil's coming at him with this temptation, and he comes back at him with, it is written. We need to learn from the Son of Man here. And what he was quoting, if if we continue, he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And as he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Matthew has the fuller kind of uh, quotation. Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's what, that's what he says to the devil. James Edwards notes this, the word of God is to Jesus what bread is to a human being. Jesus obeys and he trusts in God's word and God's way. He resists the temptation to rely on self. Maybe the question, what about us? We're breathing because God allows it. We're alive because he gives life. But often we can kind of have this attitude of like, yeah, you brought me here, Lord, but like, I'll take it from here. Now now I've got this. Think about this with me for a moment. Do we think we can live on our own without God's word? And what do our actions suggest? If a detective was following us, somehow could see our every move, and, and he's watching, would he say, oh, no, no, they can do it on their own. Or, no, I've, I've watched them. I've watched their dependence, I've watched them, how they cry out to the Lord and open up his scripture and ask for, for more of him and more revelation of him and more strength. Like, no, no, man shall not live by bread alone. 1 Peter 2, 2-3 two says this, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Friends, we have what we've all seen babies calling for their mother, longing for milk, crying until they get it. That's what Christians are supposed to be like for the word of God. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. Think about it, if if you got invited to a feast and you were weak and you were hungry and you came and this food got set in front of you, it's like, eat, eat all you want. And you walked away hungry because you nibbled on something here, you nibbled on something there. It's, It's not on the person who invited you to the feast. It's not their fault. They provided you a rich array of food. That's what we have in the Word of God. Do you, fe- do you feast on the Word of God? Or do you walk away hungry? Friends, Bible reading is an act of spiritual dependence upon God. Some, some may be failing in this aspect, even though, hey, we know what to do. Okay, we know I should read the Bible and we don't. And, I, and I've been there many a time. I remember when I was a, a new believer, just a, a young believer, and I, and I knew I was tired. I was working lots. And, and so I remember I came home from work, still living with my parents, and I'm like, I know I need to open up God's Word. I need to read it. And I remember I opened up the Word, and I had a, a glass of water. I just remember this very vividly, and I got a phone call from an old friend. And i like, oh, yeah, okay, sure, I can, let's, get, let's get together. And the Bible opened, and the water sat there, and I went with my friend and walked into sin, into old habits. And then for whatever reason, I remember I came home, parents asleep, but the light was on in the kitchen, and the Bible was still there, and the glass of water was still there. I didn't drink it, and I didn't read it, and I I just knew, oh, man man should not live on bread alone, but sometimes we don't, and what can we do when we fail there? What can we do when we're like, man, I know I should be in this book? I'd say, get up, keep going. He was faithful, Where we have been faithless. And so we can keep going. And and, and as a believer, if you're a believer, you can pray to God for a hunger for this word. Every time you open it, you can pray, Lord, feed my soul. I don't want knowledge. I need strength. I need grace. I need to meet with you. And God answers that prayer. So we can keep going. I'm wondering if there's—is there a picture on the slide? I didn't even check. No, there isn't. Okay. Okay. There it is. Sorry, bad introduction. I have this in front of my, in front of my desk at home. This is an encouragement. I hope to me. I hope it's to you too. It's this old man. He's got bread in front of him, soup and a Bible. Man should not live on bread alone. Friends, this is this is my goal in life. If I live this old, if my beard gets this white, I want to be found giving thanks to God for whatever's in front of me with a Bible that I'm still reading. Because man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus, he trusted God the Father. He did not rely on himself. May we also follow him in that. Going on to the next temptation, verses 5 to 8. The temptation to worship someone else. Verse five, and the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. It's unbelievable. like uh, how did he do this? We don't know. Was it a vision type thing? it It had to be. How did he show him all the kingdoms and, and was it just the kingdoms of that time? Was it all the ones that will be? We're not sure. But just think of the kingdoms that had already been. Did he show them Egypt and the great pyramids? Assyria, the the, maybe the Babylonians and the hanging gardens. And the seven wonders of the ancient world. Maybe Persia, the vast empire that went from uh, northern Africa all the way to India. Did he show them the Greek empire? How their, their language spread, their vast culture spread throughout the known world. And all, all their glories of the Romans. And there are roads that were spread throughout the whole area, the Pax Romana. Like, I don't know, how, how did he show him all these kingdoms in a matter of time and all their glory? But he did. In verse 6, the devil said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. He will show them all the glory, all the splendor, all the treasure, if you will. And and many people, there's a question, is this an actual actual temptation? And some people say, no, no, the devil's a liar. But I believe, no, this is an actual temptation. That he had authority given to him for a time from God. Right? Even Even as he says this, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me. And I give it to whom I will, only because God allowed it for a time. Martin Luther says about the devil, even the devil is God's devil. And wh- wh- what I mean by that is God gives the parameters in which the devil can work. He's on a leash that the Lord gives, and he can't go any pa- further past it. Right? He's allowed for a time, seemingly, to rule on this earth. 2 Corinthians 4.4 calls the devil, the God of this world. Jesus in John 14, 30 calls him the ruler of this world. And so he puts him before all these kingdoms. And look what he asks of him. Verse 7, if you then will worship me, it will all be yours. What I ask. Think of the temptation. Think of what's already been said about Jesus. The angel Gabriel to Mary, his mother, Luke one thirty three, that Jesus has promised a kingdom that will have no end. And we know that the path that Jesus was to walk was to go through suffering and the cross. And so basically, it's the devil's cheap substitute. That's all that he offers. Like, skip the suffering. You can have the kingdoms. The kingdoms of the world right now. This is is the heart of the matter. It comes down to worship. Like this is the heart of our lives. It's all about worship. Who will you worship? Think the first commandment. Exodus 20 verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. As we're we're catechizing our kids through that, the, the question after the first commandment, what does the first commandment teach us? To worship God only. That's what it's about. Again, just think, how did Israel do with that? To worship God only? Not well, but even as Moses was up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, they're like, hey, what happened to that Moses guy? And they made a golden calf and then bowed down to it. And we know time and example again, Israel failed there, worshiping idol after idol. Think about how crazy it is, the devil, how, how blinded he is by pride to say to Jesus, the Son of God, if you bow down to worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. It's like, does he not know what Paul says of Jesus in Colossians 1, 16 and 17? Speaking of Jesus, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Did, did he not know? But of course, Jesus was faithful. How did he refer to the temptation? We shouldn't be surprised here in verse 8. And Jesus answered him, "It." is written. You shall worship the Lord God and him only you shall serve. Again, he goes to Scripture. Deuteronomy 6.13. It is written. The devil again tempts him. He's like, no, no, do you know what God's word said? This is how he counters temptation with God's holy word. So Jesus was faithful. He wasn't going to bow down. But friends, for us, we we continually have a temptation to worship someone or something. We were made to worship. Like cheetahs were made to run and penguins were made to swim, not to fly, fortunately. But just think like we were made to worship. We are worshipful beings, but if we don't worship God, we worship anything else we can find. Our hearts are prone To worship other things, whatever grabs our attention, whatever dominates our hearts, just think about this. Just a few categories. It could be money. Just just a little bit more. Just need a little bit more. What does Jesus say elsewhere? You can can serve God or serve money. You can only have one master. We We can worship sports. We even use the language when kids growing up, who's your idol? We even use the term idol, and we don't we don't even think anything of it. Who's your idol? Oh, if the team can just get another win. Just think about that. Jesus had scripture memorized. He said it is written. And and some of us were like, man, I can't memorize scripture, but we know the stats of our favorite team. And we can spell it off. We can memorize many things. And friends, I, I love sports. Our kids play sports, but I know in our culture, in my own heart, man, that can be something I can turn to and worship. God help us. We can worship comfort. And even, honestly, in thinking about how do I give examples of worshiping comfort, and they all seem so mean and so hard-hitting. And then I, I was talking to my wife this morning, and I'm like, do we, do we worship comfort? She's like, oh, 100%. She started giving me examples of my own life, and I'm like, whoa. Whoa. so just to say like if you think about do we worship comfort oh we do oh we do (laughs) we worship pleasure in our society sexual identity being a trump card if someone isn't sexually uh fulfilled we're like man they're not even living like jesus was a virgin He died on the cross and was buried, rose again. He he didn't experience that. you saying Jesus didn't live a full life, the Son of God? Think about like our obsession with pleasure and, and entertainment. Just one more video. Oh, friends, we worship so many things. Our hearts are so drawn to worship so many things. What does Jesus say in Mark 8, 36? What does it profit a man or a woman to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? It's not a good deal. So even though our hearts are, are, are prone to worship other things and drawn away as the devil tempted Jesus, fall down and worship him, it's like he didn't. But we do. Not the devil, but we're, we, we worship something else besides God. And friends, we all have that. That's why even this Tuesday as we meet in prayer, last week I talked about there's these two commandments. Jesus summarized everything. Love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And honestly, as I look at that, I'm like, I don't do either of those. I fail at it. So I want to pray, God, help me to love you well. Help me to love others. So we're going to gather for that and pray. If any of this hits you and you're like, man, yes, it's true, I do worship other things, gather with me and let's pray and ask God to help our worship be directed back to him. But Jesus would not bow down and worship. He was faithful. He was faithful. Continuing on to the third temptation, 9 to 12, the temptation to test God and his will. And he took him to Jerusalem. And he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. I just want to point this out as well, the order, if you read Matthew's gospel, Matthew has the order of the temptations going from the temptation of the stone uh, to, to turn it into bread, then the temptation of the kingdoms, and then the temptation, or sorry, Reverse, the temptation of being thrown off the temple and then the temptation of the kingdoms. And how Matthew's gospel finishes those three temptations in Matthew 4.10, Jesus says, "Begone, Satan. And I think that's actually the chronological order of the temptations. It goes in that order. But Luke, for thematic purposes, for to grab a theme, he has Jerusalem playing such a significant role in his gospel. And so he's drawing attention to Jerusalem. That's why he has the order reversed or changed. Because what happens here, the devil it takes him to Jerusalem and set him on the pin- pinnacle of the temple. The reason Jerusalem is so significant, again, Jesus, he's not in Jerusalem in Luke's gospel until the end of the, the Passion Week when he's leading to the cross. And even in Luke's gospel, Luke 9, 9 fifty one, it says at that time, Jesus knew his time to go to go. To return to heaven or, or rise again is coming soon. He turned his, his face to Jerusalem. He was, he was going there. He knew his mission. So that's Luke's gospel. How it's Jerusalem so much, that's why they changed it. So the devil t- took him to the pinnacle of the temple, the high point, and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. It's, it seems, like, again, this temptation, like there wasn't a crowd, that somehow they were there, and yet this was real he took him to the highest point. Many uh, writers think it was the southwest corner of the temple. I guess below that's the Kidron Valley. It plunges 150 feet. And so what does the devil say to him? Throw yourself down from here. And then look at this, verse 10 and 11. And he quotes scripture. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you... Strike your foot against a stone. He quotes Psalm 91, 11 to 12. The devil's saying, throw yourself down. God will watch over you. Test God's faithfulness. Angels will catch you. It'll be a miracle. Show others. Only that was not God's way. It wasn't God's will. The devil is again trying to tempt him to do things outside of the Lord's will and to test God. But interesting, the devil, as he quotes Psalm 91, 11 to 12. Interesting, like what is he spotting the pattern? You keep saying it is written. Now it's the devil who says it is written. I wish the devil would keep reading or knew the rest of the psalm. Verse 13, it says this. To the one who will trust in God, you will tread on the lion and the adder. That's a snake. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. The devil, he had to have known. The next verse It's talking about him. But just just think about that. If the devil quotes scripture, if the devil quotes scripture out of context to deceive, friends, there are so many false teachers that that use that same ploy today. And that is another reason, my man, we need to be in God's word. We need to understand what it says. We need to know the context, what comes before, what comes after. The warning in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verses 3 to 4. The time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine. They'll gather around themselves, teachers to tell them what their itching ears want to hear. The time is now. The devil quotes scripture. So it can't just be like, yeah, I heard them teach. They opened up the Bible. It was good. Is it true? Is it true what they said? Is it true what I say? That's why we want to open up the Bibles together. Are you seeing what I'm seeing? If you're like, I don't see it there. I don't think it means that. Let's talk. So the devil says for him to throw himself down, test God. How does Jesus answer? Verse 12, and Jesus answered him. It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Where does he go again? He goes to Scripture. He goes to Deuteronomy 6.16. Think about this. The, The first three quotations we have, Jesus in ministry, he's just quoting Scripture. Like that's quite significant. That Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, he's just quoting scripture as he's dealing with temptation. Basically, Jesus, don't put the Lord, your God, to the test. Don't try to force God's will. I think to us, he's saying, don't don't expect God to go with you and help you when and where God has not called you. Right? We can run ahead and do something. We're like, oh, yeah, hey, God, can you bless this? Don't, Don't test the Lord. Don't don't try to expect things from God that He hasn't said He will do. And I think a a great example of that is the health and wealth gospel. You're like, hey, hey, God has told me I should be healthy. And then all of a sudden, cancer comes into your system. You're like, whoa, God, you're not faithful. It's like, God never said He would do that. You're testing the Lord. Hey, God wants me to be wealthy. All of a sudden, there's a churn in the economy, and the, the wealth that you have starts to diminish. God, what's happening? You're like, no, no, God never said he would. Don't test the Lord. Don't try to hold him accountable for things he never said he would do. God never told Jesus to jump off the temple to test him. Jesus was faithful. He followed God's will, period. As the devil said, hey, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. He said, angels will, will catch you. Think about what Jesus did do. I just want to read you this quote from David Garland. I I love it. It encourages me. Jesus makes a different kind of leap of faith. He chooses radical obedience to God, knowing that this obedience will lead him to the cross. An angel from heaven does appear, not to protect him from a violent death, but rather to strengthen him for the struggle. The Garden of Gethsemane. It will be the essence of his messianic task. His last act of obedience will occur in Jerusalem. Jesus was faithful. He withstood the temptation. And how does the story end? In, in verse 13, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. I want us to think about that opportune time. Again, Jesus won here in the desert. He was faithful to the Father. He was the true Son of God. And as we follow his ministry, we see there, there's still temptations along the way, opposition, trials, Demons, religious rulers. But ultimately, if you think about this, the opportune time the devil was waiting for was found in Jerusalem in the Passover a few years later from this temptation. The devil thought that was the opportune time. In Luke 22 verse 3, Satan enters Judas who betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus says, hey, Satan, to Peter, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. Peter denies Jesus three times. All the disciples leave. The crowd shouts, crucify him. A week previous, they're like, Hosanna to the king. The devil's like, this is the opportune time. I have Jesus where I want him. And he gets him nailed to a Roman cross. Not knowing that, that was the father's plan. That was the opportune time that the devil thought, hey, I'm about to get victory. He didn't know that Jesus on the cross, that he paid for our sins. He prayed for the, the wrong things that we have done as a perfect sacrifice. And he was buried in the grave and he rose again to do new life. He defeated death. He defeated the devil. Remind you of this verse. I love it so much. 1 John 3, eight. the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, think about this. This is what Jesus did on the cross. It says this He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. As in the demonic, as in the control the devil has on this fallen world, those in Christ is lost. He puts them to open shame. And what it is is this picture of this Roman general returning from battle and the conquered army in front heads down in shame. That's what Jesus did on the cross. The devil thought it was an opportune time. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Amen? Do, I'm just, do you know Jesus in this way? Before I was a Christian and I was into all types of trouble and drugs, and alcohol, and I knew at a young, at a young age at that time, I didn't believe in God, I didn't think anything about God, but I knew the devil was real, and I was serving him. But then God brought me to this place where he put the fear of the Lord in me, and I got on my knees, I said, Lord, if you can forgive me, my life is yours, do with it whatever you will. Friends, I went from serving the devil to serving Jesus Christ. That's where that's available to anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. You will be saved. We're not talking about games. We're talking about eternity. Will you call on the name of Jesus Christ and be saved? Do you know Jesus Christ in this way? What about us with our temptations? I just want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I can just read it for you think about our own temptations and, and think about what temptations are you facing? Deep in, in your own heart, what are you struggling with? 1 Corinthians 10:13 says this, no temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. With the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God is faithful. There's always a way out. Friends, the way out is Jesus Christ. That's the way out of temptation. Calling upon His name, asking for His help, confessing our lack of strength and ability to be obedient. And then the Holy Spirit will will strengthen us and give us grace to live for Christ and walk in His obedience. But what about when we fail? When we fall into temptation, we do when we rely on self, when we worship something else, when we seek another's will, often our own. What do we do? We confess our sins. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, 1 John 1, 9, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, as as Christians, as we stumble and fall, Jesus was the one who is faithful. We stumble. We're faithless at times. But knowing that, Take that into the light and confess it. Confess it to the Lord. Ask for help. Ask for help from other people. Basically, as you take it into the light, it's like when light hits cockroaches, they flee. When light hits the darkness, it flees. What do we do with our temptation when we sin? Confess it. Ask for forgiveness and look to the one who, Jesus Christ who resisted every temptation was faithful where we failed. We get back up and we keep going. That's the Christian life. Is every time we stumble and fall, we, we look to the Lord. God forgive me, God help me, and you get back up and you keep going. I just want to leave you with this promise in Hebrews. Hebrews 4, 15 to 16. You're not supposed to do this as a preacher. You're not supposed to go to these various scriptures. I just want you to hear this. Someone hear this today. It says in Hebrews 4, the middle part of verse 15, we have one who is, we don't have one who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. We looked at that last week. The next verse, though, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. That's, that's a promise that we have. We go to him in our weakness to find his strength, to find his grace. The temptation of Christ, I hope we saw he was faithful. He is our strength. He is our hope. He is our way to live a life that's pleasing to God. Let's close this word in prayer. If you'll bow with me. Oh Lord, I pray you would seal this word in our hearts, that which is from you. I pray, O oh God, if there's any in the hand of the devil, give them freedom in Jesus' name, O oh God. May they repent of their sins. May they trust in you. Oh Lord, help us. If there's if there's hidden sin, reveal it, Lord. May they be able to bring it before you. Find freedom, O oh Lord. I thank you that, Lord, we at times are faithless but you are always faithful. Oh Lord, help us to walk as you walked. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.